Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Perspective Transformation Radio with Marnie Swedberg and our guest today, Amberly Nisi, Lisa Tony, Sue L. Hamilton, and psychologist Dr. Kate Julian. During the next hour, you are going to hear from Amberly Nisi. She's a national speaker and comedian, currently on tour with both Aspire, the Aspire Women's Event, and Marriage Date Night. She and her husband love Jesus. They're teenagers in Star Wars, and you can learn more about her at ambulancey.com. Our next guest will be Lisa Tony. As a courageous and bold woman of God, she lives life to the fullest and empowers all those she encounters to dream big with God. A little bit of coffee, dark chocolate, and a whole lot of Jesus get her through. To learn more about her at her own website, which is her name, lisatony.com. Sue L. Hamilton will come on next. She's bringing her career background in customer service management and employee training to inspire audience as a keynote and breakout session speaker on customer service and employee attitudes. Her website also is her name, suelhamilton.com. Finally, we'll be interviewing psychologist Dr. K. Julian. As an experienced conflict resolution speaker and trainer in national professional and ministry context, she is going to promote clear, uncomplicated communication skills to successfully manage difficult relationship conversations. Her website is stormbreakerconflictcoaching.com. At this time, I am excited to introduce to you our first guest of the day, Amberly Meese. I am here today with one of our featured speakers, Amberly Meese. Welcome Good morning. to you. <laughs> excited to have you here and to pick your brain a little bit about some of your favorite ahas with Jesus because yes. you are a comedian, you're a speaker, you are traveling all over. Tell us a little bit about your tours that are coming because you're just like going gangbusters. I am. Uh, praise God, I am. Um, well, first of all, I have like women's retreats that I do that are uh, separate from the tours, but I'm also on the Aspire Women's Tour. Yep. So if you're interested in finding out about that, it's aspirewomensevents.com. But that is three hours, just ladies. We have worship, we have Bible teaching, we have laughter. Um, and usually we're, you know, two or more gathered, not only is Jesus there, but uh there's also food. So it's it's loads of fun. We have a great time. And then same format, uh, Marriage Date Night, uh, which is Leland Clausen, hilarious uh, comedian. Johnny Diaz, the Christian uh, artist, um, he's amazing. And such a they're both such a gift to hang out with. And it's just for marriages. It's just for couples to come in and laugh their backsides off and uh, and be encouraged in the Lord. It's so fun. That. We have a really great time. So I'm on both of those tours. And that's, oh, gosh, I think it's marriagedatenight.com. I don't think they got very creative, but it's perfect. So uh, I'd love to. I'm all over the country, so I'd love to see everyone. Okay. Well, I'm excited to dive in here and just kind of hear the little backstories behind these because these are great quotes. So your first one is... We are a mess. That's why we need a messiah. A oh messiah, God. yes. Absolutely. I, love that. <laughs> I think, um, Marnie, um, I think that you and I are about the same age. And I think that we came from backgrounds that said, as Christian women, we just have to have everything all together. Mm. You know, everything needs to be perfect. Everybody needs to look perfect. Our children need to behave perfectly and perfectly coiffed hair and our whatever. Everything needs to be perfect. And I have just get, gotten to a point that I think, you know, that's not me. I feel like I'm maybe like more like John um, uh, who, well, I mean, I mean, of all the uh, disciples, I love John because he is so bold to say I'm the beloved. Um, <laughs> but I love the fact of Thomas's saying that it was Jesus's wound that made him real. To Thomas. Thomas had seen everything. He'd seen healings and feedings of zillions of people. And it was Jesus's wounds that made him real. Mm -hmm. And as a speaker, I think we have the awesome opportunity to use the stories that, uh, that we have to show off that Jesus is real in our lives, not in our perfection, but as the apostle Paul says, in our imperfection, he sets up tent right there. He uh, is perfected in our weakness. And I am so encouraged by that because I am so imperfect, like so gloriously and terribly imperfect. But um, I'm glad that 
that I serve a Messiah who is willing to get in my mess and show off his glory. I love that quote. And I've never heard that connection before. And I just love it. We're well, a mess, thank you. And we need a Messiah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Marriage is one of the greatest tools God uses to sanctify and draw us to him. True, which anytime you use the word sanctify, you know that it's not going to be a painless process. There's right. no glamour in sanctification. Uh, however, I do believe uh, that, and this is, you know, I, obviously I have some amazing single friends who have great community that love them and, right. and make them better. But for me, marriage has been the greatest lesson about God's grace and God's love and God's, you know, the King James version of patience is long suffering. So when we say love is patient, it's literally love is long suffering. And that, you know, we don't want to talk about that when we go to weddings. We just want to talk about, oh, you know, rainbows and bunny rabbits. But uh, truly, uh, and I married the right one. Like he's fantastic and he's crazy about Jesus. But there are times that we want to sell each other on eBay, right? And (laughs) I've learned so much about God's patience and long suffering with me um, through through my relationship with my husband and just growing so much. It's probably the greatest tool God has used to draw me to him. Well, it's definitely it's definitely the place where you have to get vulnerable. And in vulnerability comes the opportunity for real um deep level changes, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's oh, yeah. back to the same, the first one, you know, if we're trying to look all perfect and everything, when we get home, that all falls apart. <laughs> totally. And we can look at Philippians 2 that talks about that our attitude should be like Christ Jesus. That's really easy to be nice to the lady at the grocery store, or even go to the homeless shelter and, and serve food for a couple of hours. But when you have to serve the one who doesn't seem to be able to put his socks in the laundry basket for the 9,000th time, you know, that's, that's where your service that's where the rubber meets the road as far as I'm concerned. Spiritual amnesia is when we forget who we are and who made us. Uh, I don't mean to oversimplify that as a speaker. Um, I have had the opportunity to, I, I was trying to do the math the other day, and I'm thinking it's probably 30,000 women that I've had the opportunity to address and love. And the consistent, whether you're in Poto, Oklahoma, or Washington, D.C., or you're fancy schmancy uh, LA girl. Uh, the truth is women often suffer from spiritual, spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that we wouldn't struggle with if we would remember who we are. And, um, you know, you can ask Siri all sorts of questions, but you can't, Siri can't give you the, the answer to who you are, but, but God certainly can in his word. And, um, and I think uh, my, my biggest, probably issue is my struggle with idolatry when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. But if I would remember who I am, that I'm the child of the King and not the child of hometown buffet, you know, I would be best served. And so I feel like as a communicator, it's my job just to remind people who they are. I, I say nothing that's like, Oh, right. But God says a ton. That's oh, And yeah, mostly yeah. it's about who he is and right. who we are. And it's just right. reminding people of that. Yeah, and and it, it is so easy. In fact, my sister and I were just talking this morning. I'm in, I'm in Minnesota right now. My mom is going through some um, physical stuff. And oh, so I'm sorry. We, yeah, she's doing okay. But um, we came up to help. And uh, we were talking this morning about how quickly we forget that exact thing. And we get scared. We get really, mm. really afraid. Mm-hmm. And how God even says, you know, uh, I've, I've been going through some of the passages in the scripture where it says fear not. And one of them is, you know, fear not the Assyrians who are coming to you with whips and hooks, you know. <laughs> it's like, how do you fear not the Assyrians? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. they're coming with whips and hooks, you know. That's yeah, exactly. Everything. So how do you not be afraid? And it's remembering whose we are that whatever happens to us, we are still always safe in the arms of God. And, and it is difficult to remember that in the throes of life. Absolutely. No matter what this looks like, no matter how this feels, I am safe. And for some people, their toddlers are their Assyrians, you know? (laughs) 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 Too much, too much. But do not fear. Do not fear. Thank you for that. (laughs) Grace flips things open like a pinata. (laughs) Grace flips things open like a pinata. Absolutely. So... Uh, we're so blessed. My husband and I have two fantastic teenagers. 
We have a daughter who's very right-brained. She's much like my husband and me, definitely speaks that language. And then we have our son who is so left-brained, so delightful, but very melancholy, very deep thinker. He's oh, He was that kid at three that he wanted to know, you know, where babies came from and asked the question. And my daughter's like, I'll answer it. When two people love one another and love Jesus after they get married and they finish school, you know, I'm thinking, good training. There it is. She says, so they pray about it. And at the right time, Jesus gives them a baby. And he's like, uh-huh. So how did it get in there? Like he wanted to, at three, I was like, oh gosh, we are in deep trouble. Well, one of the things he absolutely loves is the law of God. He revels in the law of God. When the psalmist talks about, I meditate, I love your law. That's my son. He loves the law. But the big struggle for him is grace. Grace does not make sense. And so for me, I'm so, I'm so in touch with grace. And it's it's actually the law of the Lord that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to grow in my, you know, passion for. And, um, and so that's been a big thing. And I've just realized, man, grace is a game changer. Like we are not paid back as our sins deserve. I am so thankful. And that allows us to walk in a way that is unlike, and you know, anything it's just, it's truly is a game changer. And it's what separates uh, our faith from so many other faiths because it's it's uh, logical to follow rules. Grace is not logical. It defies mm-hmm. logic. It's beyond logic, and it shows God's character in such a beautiful way. So, like a pinata, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, I, say I can't. I can live without a lot of things, but I cannot live without grace. <laughs> uh, preach, my sister. Absolutely. Uh, on my phone, sinner autocorrects to dinner. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. And it totally does. It's so funny. I don't know if you use the talk to text thing, but I love that feature. But there have been times that I'm like, oh, gosh, that's not what I said. You know, like you have to right. like, oh, Lord Jesus, uh, please save me. But seriously, when I when I type in sinner, it goes right to dinner. And I'm like, oh, look, Siri knows me. Look at that. Isn't that special? <laughs> it couldn't go to winner. Oh, no, not winner. It goes to dinner. Perfect. Thank you. So I need to do an experiment to find out if other people does the same thing. Right. Or if this no? is just a unique thing for you. Yeah. It's yeah. just the Holy Spirit saying, <laughs> trust me, my love. I have your back. I am your portion. Because I'm really sure you're the only one that deals with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> actually, this is an advertisement for my 12-step program. Call me. We will get together. We will hold each other accountable. <laughs> We can I love do it. Inner sinners, all that's at right. Once. That's <laughs> right. Just call okay. autocorrect. Just come on in. <laughs> all right. If our past does not suffer a death, our present cannot make sense, and our future cannot truly live. Oh, mm. Powerful. Thank you. Uh, it was well earned. I did not get that on a bumper sticker. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home. And did not have anybody in my life that was telling me about the good news of Jesus. And I made, um, I made mistakes accordingly. Like I definitely um, did not have my eyes on the goodness of God uh, for much of my teenage years. And um, for me, I am clear on a cerebral level. I'm clear that Jesus says he forgives me. Right, right. I've read, you know, first John one, nine a million times. I know he forgives me. I know he cleanses me from all unrighteousness, but I keep dirtying myself with bringing back up those things. Well, what about this, God? What about this? And he's like, we've talked about this. East, you know, as far as the East is from the West, and I keep pulling it back from the East and the West. I keep re-dirtying myself with those memories and those regrets. And until I tell, you know, until I forgive me, um, and stop saying that my standards are higher than God's because he's willing to forgive me. I don't know why I can't. Um, I am stunted. My growth is stunted and I can't move into my, my present fully. And I certainly uh, can't um, live fully my future um, if I'm still looking back. Um, I don't want to be turned into a pillar of salt from turning back, looking back. But there have been times that that's what it looks like. So that's been well earned. That's been a that's been a tough one for me. I hated when my kids would give me their trash like they were doing me a favor until I realized that I sometimes do that to God. 
when the offering plate is passed. Is it so amazing to me? Like kids, you give them, you know, um, you know, fruit snacks or whatever, and they hand you the wrapper. And I used to be like, um, why? Why am I? And I would take it because I'm an Enneagram too. So I would take it. But I'd find myself like, why? It's like they go, here, mom. <laughs> Look at this, you know. And like they were like, it was some grand gesture. And then I realized when I don't trust God fully with my tithe and I say like, oh, I'm here's the leftovers here. Oh, you can have the stuff in my change purse instead of, uh, you know, from, you know, the, the fullness of what I can give. Um, you know, I find myself going, look at that. I put up, you know, I put all that money in there. Look at that. And it's the same thing as their gummy bear, uh, you know, trash. It's, it's the remnants instead of giving the first fruits. And I, I'm so thankful my kids grew to a place that instead of handing me the trash, they would say, would you like to have a fruit snack? You know, would you like to share this with me? And so I'm still growing in that. They've taught me a lot. So I'm still growing in that. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I always say, you know, kind of on the flip side of it, I always say that God is the only one who can handle my trash. And when that's all I have to give him, yeah, go ahead and give him that. Yes. Yeah. And yes. then, like you said, grow into giving him gifts of goodness instead yeah. of just only trash. And, and yet he does love our trash too. And, and I love okay. that about him that like you are a mom and you took it and you dealt with it. You know, he's dead. Yeah. He takes it and he deals with it and he loves Absolutely. us anyway. I just love that about him. I do too. So if you, if the offering plate gets past your church this week, Marnie, and there's a gummy bear in it, you'll know why. Oh, no. oh, <laughs> I'm growing. It's an honor when someone invites you into their crazy. Uh, I, I, I believe this and it's so interesting to me because even from the fall, even the curses of the fall, they have this component of disconnection from uh, others. So, uh, you know, the man that man would work, um, uh, whatever he would live off the sweat of his brow. He would have to work forever. I think that there is a, a definite tendency in the men in my life to feel like their worth is in their work. And that's part of the curse. And ours was that part of it, besides the pain and childbirth, let's not even go there. Um, it's, that, uh, it's that we would have desire for our husbands. And so we have a, what I would call a curse and a blessing, but a curse when it comes to relationships. So our curse is relational. And so even though I feel like women have the greatest gift of connecting. I really do. And this is no disrespect to my male friends. I'm so blessed to have them in my life, but women, I feel like have this tendency to have this connectedness and I believe it's from God, but also we use that exact same connectedness in battle with other women. Think about seventh grade girls. Think about the coups and the clicks and the ugly. It can be, it can just be so ugly. So when someone is brave enough to ask you, Hey, huh? This is really you, this is really hard for me. This is really vulnerable, but I would like for you to come into my space and come into the struggle that I'm facing right now. There is truly no greater honor. I mean, to have somebody, uh, you know, extend that courage. Um, Anne Lamott years ago used to say the most powerful sermon we can preach is me too. And of course we now have a me too mo movement, but way before that, she was just saying that is one of the greatest ways for us to show Jesus's love is just, Oh my gosh, I understand. I get you. And even if we can't totally relate to that, which they're going through, we certainly can relate to disappointment. We can certainly relate to having our hearts broken. We can certainly relate to uh, health issues. And so when somebody does that, uh, I'm sure Marnie, you have the same thing. Gosh, what a gift, what a gift that somebody would be courageous and offer that opportunity. But we don't a lot. And I meet a lot of lonely ladies, not that they don't have a ton to share, but it's, it's, feels really vulnerable and scary. And so please honor people when they bring their mess and their chaos and their crazy to you and ask you to help them unpack it. I almost think that that is the ultimate, um, the ultimate letting God flow through us is when we allow someone to be really their full humanity in front of us and uh, love them. You know, that is the whole thing of uh, yes. 13 is that Whatever that person does, whatever they do, whatever they say, whatever they've been through, whatever they've done, um, that you can just still see good, that you can see hope, that you can invest love, that you can be patient and long-suffering. And, and 
actually just extend the grace of Jesus that he extends to me every single day. You know, he wants to extend that through. I love that. Have you read Lisa Turkhurst's new book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way Yet? No, I haven't yet. So I think it's chapter two. It's all about dust, that her life Hmm. through a series of things kind of felt like it blew up and everything was in little teeny particles of Hmm. dust. But she was like, notice that that's the exact thing that Jesus used to heal that man who was born blind. You know what I mean? Like, it's the very fodder. So sometimes when people come with their, you know, uh, that is the very thing that God will use to show off his glory in such a beautiful way. And what an honor to be part of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, yeah, just the dust thing, too. I think about in in Psalms, he says, you are like dust. Yes. That it's always, those kind of seasons are always to just remind us. Um, that we are, we need God alone, you know, and yes. everything else is just a gift and a, a mercy and a grace. I agree, Marnie. <laughs> I totally all, agree. Oh my gosh, this was so fun. I love you, my dear. <laughs> Absolutely, Marnie. Thank you so yeah. much for doing ministry and encouraging Aww. so many people. Well, thank you. Love you. And I can't wait to see you live. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. It'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah. Right. See you then. And you are here to share with us some of your favorite aha moments with God. And I'm excited to pick your brain. Uh, before we get going into that, do you have like a, a favorite verse for life or a theme verse for this season? Mm. Well, you know, um, there's lots of verses that have been very powerful to me. I actually picked a word for this year. So I don't oh, know cool. if you yeah, yeah. an actual thing to like pick, up, yeah. pick a leadership word or focus. So my word for the for 2019 has been available. God, I just want to be available to what you have for me. So, um, so I've just kind of tried to have that posture of open handedness to what God would have. And so that's been part of my prayer routine every morning. And um, really what I'm looking for is I'm reading scriptures this year is just, Lord, um, how can I most be available to my family? How can I be available in my marriage? How can I be available to um, the people that you call me to minister to and, and serve? Um, how can I be available to strangers that I encounter? So, um, so I guess that's more of, you know, my focus is this year is that word that I feel like the Lord gave me as I read lots of different scriptures and, and prayerfully approach them. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Love disrupts so that hope can spring up. I love this quote and I love, I love hope. I, I talk about hope a lot. I feel like hope is something that we as Christians have the opportunity to impact the world the most with. And uh, there's nothing that Jesus can't hear or handle that he can't bring more hope into that situation. And so I'm a passionate advocate of that. And, uh, you know, I was just reading uh, the the we've been doing a, I've been doing a teaching series in uh, John and it, you know I was thinking about John as the beloved disciple and it got me really thinking about him he names himself five times in scripture as the beloved disciple the one that Jesus loved and I'm like what did John know about love that was so unique mm-hmm. because if you think about John and you go back to his calling which is found in Luke chapter five we see him as you know a, a salty sea man of the sea he's a fisherman you know and his whole entire calling when he gets called to to follow Jesus he had no idea that Jesus was coming or who he was he had been out on the sea all night long and he we we pick up the story with him um, having been out on the water totally not catching any fish and so you know a, a no fish for a fisherman is complete failure, right? And so he had come off the water and he was a man who was used to being covered in sea salt spray and watching the fish market numbers and watching the weather, you know, red skies at night, sailors delight, red skies at morning, (laughs) sailors take warning, right? So he was man of the sea and together with his brother, James, they were the sons of thunder. So, you know, they probably had like little tattoos and the whole thing. And so they probably were passionate and, and maybe a little bit loud. And, you know, I just envisioned these sailor guys and, and when they come in on the scene, Jesus had wandered in and he asked Peter to take him out in the boat so that he can teach to the crowds that had gathered and use the water to amplify him. And then later he asked Peter to row him out further to deep water. 
And I could only imagine the exchange between those friends because Peter and John and James were all fishing friends. And, you know, John was probably like, better you than me. I'm ready to head home and take a shower and catch a cup of coffee, you know. And um, so as Peter did that, and of course, Jesus, you know, had Peter put his nets back out. And and Peter was like, Jesus, we haven't caught any fish all night. What are you doing? And um, didn't want to be disrespectful to a rabbi, of course. And um, and as Jesus pulled, or as Peter pulled those nets in, and they were filled with fish. I mean, they just must have been completely shocked. Who the heck is this Jesus that can bring this kind of abundance in? And so then, you know, the story says that that John and James got in their boat and they went out too. And so John put out his nets and he felt that familiar tug of fish in his nets. And, and the account is so cool because it says not only were their nets ripping out, but there were so much fish that their boat almost began to sink. So you can just imagine these piles of fish like ankle deep knee deep, thigh deep, chest deep. And they're like, what is this? Who is this? What is going on? Right. And then the account says that they pulled their boats into shore. They left them. So they left the biggest catch of their lives. I mean, they, that was so many fish. I mean, they left them free fish for the taking in the Sea of Galilee, you know, I mean, the region, they could just come grab it. They're rotting in the sun and they left and they followed Jesus. And so I just think of that profound experience that must have impacted John so deeply that he must have encountered Jesus and realized, you know what, I don't need to be afraid anymore because, you know, if I, with all my skills and experience could go out in and fish in the deep and catch nothing all night long. And when I'm with Jesus, there's abundance, there's abundance. I mean, that just, just must have caused hope to spring up in his soul, you know? Yeah. And so, um, as I was kind of just thinking through John and him being the beloved disciple, and as he talks to us about how God is love and love is found in God, um, it just made me really think about this whole idea of disruption, that John's life was completely disrupted by love. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. Our entire life is disrupted. When love disrupts us, it is so that hope can spring up in us. And so um, that's just one of my favorite things to think about is I think about the radical passionate, transformative, powerful, disruptive love of God and how much I need that in my life and how much our world needs that. And that when we are able to do that to our neighbors and our families and the people around us, that's what's going to change this world with the love of Jesus. When we love in surprising ways, that disrupts. Get out of the grind. Go back to the grid. I talk about this when I talk about work-life balance and, you know, for all of us, that is a constant challenge and struggle. I refer to it, is it the mythical unicorn? Does it really exist, <laughs> the balance between work and life? Because so many of us are just so, you know, committed. I mean, it's all with good reasons and, and goals, um, but there is that challenge of, you know, what I need to do at home and with my family and then the responsibilities that my job calls me to do. And so um, I just came up with a really simple grid that I encourage people to work to manage their time. And whenever you feel like the, the grind is taking over you, I refer people back to this time grid to help them with their scheduling and planning and trying to, to really track the amount of hours that we have in the day. And, you know, God as creator gave us uh, the 24 hours in the day. And so I always challenge people, did God mess up there? Or do you think there really is enough time in the day? Um, did he really know what he was doing when he gave us 24 hours? And so if God really knew what he was doing, then maybe there actually is enough time to get it all done. And we need to figure out ways to, to manage our time even better. Stay out of the frying pan. Priorities need a plan. I love living life to the fullest. You know, I believe that Jesus gave us this life so that we could have the abundant life. And so part of that is really thinking through what is the, what are your priorities? And in order to see those to fruition, you've got to have a plan to fulfill those. Um, I always laugh because when I, I have four kids and when I had my first baby, I was due right around Labor Day. And so I made it my goal. And this is obviously Jesus is very gracious, but I went into labor on Labor Day. And so I was so proud of myself. I'm like, yes. <laughs> it was just awesome. And it was hard because my parents had flown in from Michigan to California and we'd had a meal. They went to bed. 
I, you know, was humongously pregnant, went to bed, and my husband had just taken a sleeping pill. And as soon as I laid down, I think I went to bed at 9, at 9.30, my water broke. And I woke up, and I, my husband had just taken up a sleeping pill. But I'm here to let you know that the, the effects of adrenaline are even stronger <laughs> than that of a sleeping pill. And so we were still able to get to the hospital on time. Um, but, you know, as, as busy women as we all are with all the things that we have, you know, we, we need to make sure that our priorities are what we are working towards, not just the tyranny of the urgency you know just just feeling what's urgent and I think so often we get so busy that it's easy just to do what's what's urgent and what's immediate and if if we really want to work what our priorities are that you know what people want to what do you want people to say about you at your funeral you know and so and who are those people that are going to speak and are we pouring into them first and so I really feel it's um, so important and I love to encourage and work with people to work a plan so that you can see your priorities happen. Yeah, I love plans and I love, I love thinking ahead because, um, well, my mom taught us and, and we're all, uh, there's four sisters in my family and my mom taught us that if you have everything organized and planned out in advance, in advance it allows you to be extremely flexible in the moment. Absolutely. And I love that. It isn't that the plan becomes the God. It's that the plan frees you to actually be present in the moment instead of to be doing the things that maybe should have been done in advance. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love that, Mark. It's so true. So true. Live consistent and pray persistent. This is something that I've been learning over the last few years. I've um, I've been praying for something that God has been very, very slow to answer, and it's just been really hard. Um, our youngest child, uh, when she was about two and a half, started coming up to me telling me that her eye hurt. And, you know, as a busy mom with four kids, I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was a summer of sunscreen and you know, siblings and chlorine and beaches, sand. And so I, you know, I just thought, well, she's got something in her eye, but she kept persisting. And so uh, I ended up taking her to the doctor and he referred us to a specialist and uh, they drilled me about eye history over and over. And I'm like, what is going on? And my little two and a half year old got diagnosed with extreme case of cataracts. And I thought, cataracts, that's so like what my parents are having surgery for, not a two and a half year old. So, um, and her vision was so dense. They think that um, she, it was a congenital case of cataracts that she hadn't been able to see out of her eyes since she was born and that she probably could only see light, maybe. Light. Wow. And it just blindsided me and my husband. Right. You know, as a mom, you're like, you think you know your kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just feel terrible if she's been struggling with this. And I didn't know. And, um, but it became kind of this, urgent situation that the doctor said she needs to have surgery within a month because the problem is when your brain begins to realize that you have a part of your body that isn't working it starts to shut off contact and so they were really concerned that if we didn't have surgery right away that um, even if we got her eye healthy it wouldn't reconnect to her brain and so it began this huge, very quick, fast pace of trying to find a pediatric specialist with, for cataracts for children. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a whole insurance battle, but God led us to a wonderful surgeon and the Stein Eye Institute in Los Angeles, and they've been wonderful. And through her surgery process, she ended up having three different types of cataracts and multiple of each one layered so deeply in her eye. And so, um, and our, our surgeon had warned us, you know, the surgery is something that he could do and he replaced her lens. So she has an artificial lens, but it's the process of the, the working that eye to get it strong and healthy and reconnected to the brain. And so we've just wow. had tons of people praying and praying and praying wow. and her vision was so bad. He said that she was 21,000. So, oh, okay. you know, that's almost the distance of three football fields away that she could not see. And so, you know, I was, I'm such an optimistic person and I'm like, Lord, you're going to answer this prayer. And, you know, after her surgery, she was better. She went to 2,800 and then 2,600, but 2,200 is legally blind. And so we had a long way to go. And for an entire year, we saw no movement in her eye and I was just mm -hmm. devastated. And, and so this, 
this um, aha moment of, um, you know, live consistent, pray persistent is something that God really put in our hearts and in our lives that even if he chose not to heal her and she couldn't see out of her eye, that we were still going to know that God was speaking to us clearly and that we could see God clearly. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a journey for us. She's just turned five. And uh, God has been working in her life. And I still remember taking her um, every few months we'd go and she has to patch her good eye. So she has to spend six hours a day patched with her good eye. And that's really hard for a little yeah. little girl. Um, but I still remember I would take her and I'd hold her in my arms and I'd, I'd stand her almost right up next to the wall where they would put pictures up because she didn't know her letters yet. And he put up a little picture of a a birthday cake. And I still remember when she could, um, he covered her good eye and forced her to look with her bad eye. And she said, happy birthday to you. And and it just melted my heart. And so the Lord has been healing her. It's been a journey last two and a half years. And um, she has um, her last appointment. It's just remarkable. She has gone from 21,000 to 20. 30. She is oh. 2020 vision. Wow. So our doctor just says, I can't, he can't even believe it. He's just, oh, remarkable. That's just remarkable. And I said, well, you know what? Our Jesus is remarkable. Right. Healed her, mm. And we're not done yet. I am praying for 2020. So <laughs> back in a few months and I am just praying that we hit that and to God be the glory that he has completely healed her through that process. That's so beautiful. And you know what I always say about stories like yours or any story out of the Bible, they're terrible to live, but they're awesome in their face mm-hmm. when yeah. you hear the end result you know i mean but to live through it is a whole different thing because you yeah. got you really just have to believe that god's got you and that however this looks today it's not the end you know exactly we exactly. got this great big god oh well this has been so fun lisa thank you so much for being here you're welcome thanks for having me marnie i really appreciate the opportunity absolutely you guys can learn more about lisa over at womenspeakers.com lisa T-O-N-E-Y from California. Sue L, what does the L stand for? It's actually Lee. And I said to my mom, why didn't you then call me Susan Lee? But she always called me Sue. So I never like to use the Sue Lee. That's so fun. Be okay being me. The me God intended me to be. It's one of those times where that was repeated over and over and over in my mind from God is that you need to be okay being me, the me I'm supposed to be. And I've had such a hard time with that. It's been a journey of trust to get to be okay being the person he intended me to be. So my message is, that I speak and I share, no matter if it's uh, in a business or in a church setting or wherever, it's like, just be okay with who you are. Right. And I like to use the analogy of your thumb. You know, if you just look down at your thumb, that little one inch square right there can convict you in a court of law because it's so unique. (laughs) And why did God bother with all that detail of uniqueness in us? The yeah. unique one. And, you know, I know when I was a younger Christian, I really kind of was frustrated with God and felt like, why do you want to kill me? You know, why do I have to die to myself if you made <laughs> me this way? You know, why did you make me this way if I just have to die all the time? Right. And it came to a point of understanding where, like what you said, the, the me you created me to be, where God created this vessel, this unique set of gifts and talents and weaknesses and relationships and time and history and all of those things are so critical to him because he created me to do a specific work, which, which Peter talks about, you know, that work right. that we're created to do. And, and it, it is critically important that we accept it and get okay well, with it, like I, you said. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think the biggest part is, is that just accepting it, it yeah. just the acceptance of who you are. Because so many times in our marketing, in our society, it's you need to be something else, something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And that, to, to just come to that um, solid, I'm okay with who I am, 
I don't know if we'll ever be there, but um, (laughs) we can keep working towards it. That's right. And so that's my goal. Right. And it's in, and it's in the context of Christ that we can get to be okay with who we are. And then when those doubts and those, uh, you know, sailing thoughts come, we just run back to Jesus and say, who am I, but who am I to you? I mean, I love to ask him that, but who am I to you? (laughs) What am I supposed to do? You know, these kind of questions, I keep running back to Jesus. I know exactly, exactly. And the, and the comfort and the confidence to be able to do that. That's awesome. Well, the next three aha moments that we have are actually titles of your book. And I just love this because each of them is so unique and profound and has a story behind it. And so we're going to start with number one. It's a journey of trust, a walk of faith. I was not okay being me. I wanted to be something else. And every time I would go in that path in that direction and on that journey, it would be like I would crash or burn or get back on this path. And so what was so interesting is that God just put it in my heart to start looking in the Old Testament, which I didn't like. (laughs) No, I didn't understand it. It was like, no, you got to be kidding me. And so I started studying in Exodus mm. about the Israelites and the journey. And it was like, it's so fascinating. It is. And that's what started this book. Hmm. Hmm. A journey of trust, a walk of faith. I just, yeah. I just think that's what God calls each of us to our whole life long. It is so yes. perplexing. And, and yeah. you know, I, I always say it, it, to live those stories in the Bible was horrible. I mean, we love to read them now. But to live them was just terrifying and, and really tough. And to live through a lot of what we live through now and have a great testimony to tell afterwards. Yes. It was not fun to walk through. It's, it's tough. It's very tough. And to me, that was a part of what I, the journey for me and just exploring all these scriptures was just a solidifying of I have to trust. There's absolutely no other options. I have to trust every single step, every turn, every journey. I have to. Right, right. Do I do it good every day? No. (laughs) Right. The alternative, the alternative is to not trust and to be just consumed with the fear. Yes. And um, the reality that, you know, I always say we're all hopelessly addicted to the delusion that we're in control of anything. <laughs> that's the only places to be is I'm in control or I'm trusting that God's in control. Yeah. And, you know, there one can feel very good while it feels good. And then all of a sudden it comes crashing down and we are just hopelessly, you know, we are. Yeah. Then we're a puddle, we're a puddle of uh, mud or a puddle <laughs> of whatever. <laughs> yeah. A mess. Yeah. <laughs> Everyday simple, keeping life on track in a complex world. I'm trying to do that. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) Right? It is complex. It's really complex. I have to just tell you, um, probably about 90 minutes ago, I was almost, you know, there was the stress of what I was having to do next. And I'm traveling and I'm trying to juggle all these balls and it was overwhelming. And I was really literally nearly in tears. And I just said, God, you have to help me understand how to think about it. There's the list is too long. I cannot do all this. And so I just had the thought, just write it all down. And so I just took a notepad and I just listed it all down as it came to my mind, all these things I had to do, including booking flight home. And I mean, everything, you know, every last thing. Um, And then, uh, then I was just supposed to just let him order it. And he did. And he's like down in the middle of the page with number one and number two and number three and number four and number five. And I got through like number nine and he's like, stop, that's enough for today. And you know, this opportunity that we have, to every day, I love it, every day simple, because it is too complex for us. Some days simply aren't going to work. They aren't. And, you know, when you bring up that tip, I suggest that to so many women that I mentor. It's like, take all of the craziness that's in our heads and write it on a piece of paper. And a lot of times I use columns because we are all working. So we've got work things and we've got personal things. And like, create this column and write it all down because if you get it out of your head, 
then you have it on a solid piece of paper because you think you're going to forget it. And that's what I tried to talk about in this book is that you, you can do it. Everything can be done if we do it on a one by one, step by step, a simple thing. And I used to think the word simple meant less than or, you know, not good enough or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's so false. And so that right now is the title. I'm working diligently on this book. Who knows? It'll change probably, (laughs) but I don't know. (laughs) I really like it. And I like the word simple too. And I remember the first time somebody called me simple and I too, like you was kind of offended. I was like, that is not, that's not a good thing to call me. I don't think you should call me that. (laughs) And after a while I became, I really embrace that word now. It's like simple is wonderful. It's kind of like reminds me of when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. This is simple. It does not have yeah. to be rocket science to follow Jesus or to get through the day. Even it if it looks like it. Even if it looks like it. And I, I too, I'm a list. I am a list lover. I love lists. And I always say, you know, when it's in your head, it's a million things to do. When you write it down, it's only 122. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is that there is time to do everything God wants us to do. There really is. He's so there is such a good time yeah. manager. Well, right. And if we allow him to be in it. Right. Our last guest is Dr. Kay Julian. She is um a conflict resolution speaker and trainer with stormbreakerconflictcoaching.com. And she's here to share some of that with her. She's going to start by telling us a little bit about what she does. Uh, well, actually, um, I have zeroed in on uh, conflict uh, and the human behaviors that go with conflict. Um, I've ever since I can remember, I've been curious about how people work, why they do things, what goes on in them, what makes them tick. Uh, so it was a very natural thing to go into psychology. And then as time went on and I got more and more advanced degrees, um, I decided to really narrow my focus to how we talk to each other and try to love and get along with one another. You are here to share with us some of your favorite aha moments with Jesus, some things that you've learned along the years that have really helped to change how you perceive life, your perspective of um, how to think about things. Don't believe the myth that conflict is nothing but sudden chaos. You have it in you to train that dragon. That one is loaded. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It it, it sure is. Um, I think just sort of simply put, when we think of conflict, especially in our families or at work or with our significant others, uh, it does it does just seem like sudden chaos to us because that's basically how we experience it. We're we're not we're ha- going along in the conversation and then wham, it takes this turn and uh, and so we think that is conflict. That's what that's how it is. That's how it's always going to be. Just try to get through it. Um, and unfortunately, the consequence of thinking that way is that what we avoid it, right? Uh, and so we're not always honest with one another. We don't always address things that need to be addressed. Uh, but the truth is, uh, as I said, uh, human behavior is human behavior. And so um, there's a science, there's research, there are patterns, there are predictabilities. It's not just this big blob of chaos, there there really is a lot to know about it so that uh, we can learn things. We can develop mastery in that area. We can learn skills and uh, and study things and, and become become proficient at, at being fearless at having those conversations um, on a natural level. And then, of course, on a spiritual level, uh, we have the mind of Christ. We have Christ in us. We have his spirit of power and love and sound mind that we can, uh, uh, that we are already equipped to tackle this with. And so we, it does, we don't have to live like that. It doesn't have to be um, something that just throws us off and uh, just try to, try to heal from afterwards. We really can t- train that dragon. Yeah. So if somebody is just 
conflict averse and it's like, oh my goodness, she's talking to me. I just completely avoid it every time. I just hate it. I just don't ever want to have this happen to me again. Um, Where would they begin? Like, what would be a first step? Um, Well, as I said, the, the first, the very first thing is to understand that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, And I'd say that one of the best first steps is to realize that one of the reasons why we feel that way about it is because we don't know what to do. We're afraid of it because we don't know what to do with it. And so my, my, the first step is to, is to learn something to do because once you, once you do, uh, then the more and more, more things that you learn what to do in the situation, the more equipped you feel and the less fearful Hmm. you are. That, That makes perfect sense. As you're heading into battle, don't try to wear somebody else's armor. Just like anything that we feel like we have to face uh, and we don't feel very equipped to do, we we try to get some help. We try to get some information. Nowadays, we jump on the Internet, right, and Google uh, our problem and what we're looking for and how to handle it. Say you're a parent and you have to have a conversation with an adult child. Um, and so w- there's a lot of information, a lot of good advice, a, a lot of instruction for how to uh, execute perhaps what it is you're trying to do. But we frequently skip a very important step, and, and that is to stop and try those things on yeah. <laughs> for, for ourselves. You know, uh, and see how it sits, and it's if it's natural, and 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 is there a way to make it our own? Um, because if it's a situation where it's really scripted, the other person doesn't know that script, <laughs> and so right. if you don't have some natural maneuverability in the situation, then you won't feel, you won't feel successful and it won't be successful. A really good uh, example of this is David uh, in, in yeah, the day. Yes, I love, you know, because when Saul finally decided, okay, you can go fight the Philistine, what happened? Saul put all of his armor on David, right? His, his tunic, his shield, his helmet, his sword. And the scripture says that he, he couldn't even walk around. You know, he's trying to walk around in this armor, and he couldn't even do that. And he said, I can't go into battle with this. This is not, I can't do this. This isn't something that's going to help me. This doesn't fit me. I know that this is not for me. And it all was a huge guy. So we have to, we can't skip that step ourselves when, when we are trying to, to do things like that to really uh, find a way to make it natural, uh, whatever, in, in whatever endeavor, even if you're in business, anything that we're doing, we have to say, okay, this is their armor, and what fits me, what doesn't fit me, can I walk around in this, how will this be for me? Um, and, and, of course, on the spiritual plane, um, the Lord has the armor that fits us all, <laughs> and um, and we want to pay particular attention to that, too. Yeah. No, right away, the analogy of David came to mind, too, about that. And, you know, it's one of my favorite acronyms is BUSY, B-U-S-Y, Best Unique Strategies for You, because it is so true that if you just try to do it like somebody else could do it, it's not going to work. Um, right. But God, but God, I love that phrase, but God, God is going to equip us to be able to walk through these things together with him in just the right way that he created us. Choosing to grant grace and mercy to another comes from a place of genuine strength. It is a compelling act. Typically, uh, when we think of trying to be, uh, grant someone mercy or grace, they've offended us and it was really a mistake they they didn't mean to or they they want us to hear how sorry they are um we generally generally think that's sort of a weak thing to do um that we're letting go of um our power and the but 
the truth is when we're in that position, we are operating from a deficit because we hold on to that mercy or grace because there's some need in us that we want that person to fill. Um, mm -hmm. for, for example, uh, say you want to, you're protecting your image because if, if you, if you, let them off the hook, then they'll see you as weak or a pushover, and you really got to protect that image. So when you're in a place of wanting to protect that image, that's a big need. And so you are not free or open to doing anything else except protecting that image. Um, it's kind of like if you've got some extra money at the end of the month and a financial need from one of your friends presents itself, you don't think twice about, hey, I've got extra money, I'll just, I'll, I'll share it with them. But if the same thing happens the next month and you are short, then you, you don't want to give them any money because you need, you need yours. And so when we can come to a place of, of security uh, and just say, when recognizing, hey, I can do this. This is not going to hurt me at all. And of course, most of all, if you're a Christian, to really understand how all of our needs are met in Christ, <laughs> then you know, we are in that place of surplus. We're in that place of, I can afford to grant you grace here. I don't have to get my pound of flesh from you because Jesus will take care of me in that. And uh, so we, we really, when we do that act, we truly are uh, operating from that place of, of strength and power and, and abundance. And, and it's compelling because, well, you, we've all been there when we've really wanted somebody to grant us mercy and they have, you know, the response that we feel is, Oh, this is wonderful. What can I do? How can I? Uh, because we have introduced the energy of love into the conversation and changed the energy there. And love is there. And love is always compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of the thinking, you know, of the thinking of competition versus cooperation ah, yeah. in, a, in a competitive relationship. If I give you some, that means I don't have enough, that I, don't, I have it anymore. Right. You know, but like we know parents of children, when God gives us another child, somehow there's enough love for both children now, for all three or whatever. Yeah. It isn't a competition. It is, it is, a, it is cooperation. And that's, that's true with that one too. Your next one kind of reminds me a lot of this first one. Reach out to the other person with compassion in the midst of an emotional conflict and you will immediately change the direction of the conversation. This is about taking an action when, when things are really getting heated up. Um, uh, again, generally we don't know what to do when, when that is starting to happen. And one of the most immediate ways to change the situation uh, is to is to, as I said, reach reach out to the other person. Um, when we let's see if I can do a little visual. When we start talking to each other about something, we're we're sort of like this, and we're talking back and forth, and this is the way it goes. As we start to get uh, more and more disturbed. <laughs> we start to become more and more self-absorbed. We're justifying, we're defending, we're being aggressive about our agenda. And, and so we become like this. Hmm. It's completely separate and completely like every man for himself. And we pretty much stop listening to each other. We're, we're like this. Yeah. So if, if you can have the presence when you're going, I don't know what to do, this is going off the rails, to, to think, okay, stop and reach back out to that person. What have you done? You've completely changed this. You've changed the energy. You've changed direction. Again, uh, you've, you've interjected love into the, to the conversation. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about 
Okay, now you just take on all the responsibility and start apologizing. It's something that just as simple as resisting being defensive and, and saying something kind. Like say somebody's they're saying, You never listen to me, you know, you just never listen to me. You you always you just don't care about me. You always just think of yourself and and we naturally want to defend that, right? We naturally want to uh, correct that image and, and, and correct that statement. But if we can, and, and that keeps us like this, right? But if we can think to say, that may be, but I'm listening now and I'm caring now. And I want you to talk to me now, you know, I'm here and listening and, you know, looking them in the eye and it, it change it immediately changes the conversation. Doesn't necessarily, I'm not necessarily, not necessarily saying, okay, then it's good and it's over, but you, you change that energy to something positive. Again, that love, um, to, to, to actually take an action to look at them and acknowledge something that they're they're going through. I love that. Just bringing the compassion of Christ into the conversation. And, wow. and you know, I have this thing where I do, um, if I'm if I'm out of patience or out of love or whatever it is, I just say, God, I'm completely out of patience for this person right now, but you're yeah. not. So give me some of yours. And then that, that's able to just flow through us right there in that moment. Yes, well, yes. this time has flown by. How fun <laughs> to have you here. Okay, thank, you for, thank you for coming and sharing with us. And you guys want to learn more about her, just go over to womenspeakers.com. That's Kay Julian. Otherwise, stormbreakercoaching.com. And this is Marnie. Thanks for joining us for Perspective Transformation. We'll be right back here next Wednesday afternoon at Blog Talk Radio. And to those of you who listen around at the syndicates or the other stations online or who carry us, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.